Hebrews 11, and we're going to be starting in verse 13, reading a little bit that we've covered before and then what we're going to cover today in Hebrews 11 and starting in verse 13. And if you're reading along and you can change your translation and want to sync up with mine, I'm out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Read there and then pray um, before I begin to share with you what the Lord's put on my heart for this morning. These all died in faith. We had this while ago, didn't we? Although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Father, as we open your word today. I thank you that you incline our ears to what you would say. Holy Spirit, that uh, you give us uh, wisdom and insight into who you are, how you operate, what you're doing in our lives, who we are in you, uh, Lord, and that you grow our faith. We want you to be big in our eyes today. And as we start this week, uh, we want to see you clearly so we can walk with you more closely. And we thank you for your word and Holy Spirit that you're able to translate it to each heart as we have need today in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So as we continue in our series on Hebrews 11 and living by faith, we know that faith is a divinely imparted ability from God to you so that we are able to trust, to endure with confidence and to truly and fully be alive in him. Faith gives us the ability to see as he Sees. And as we go through Hebrews 11, some call it the hall of faith, play on hall of fame, right? Because you're talking about saints in the Old Testament and how faith was exercised in their life and how it made a difference. The writer of Hebrews is meaning to demonstrate that from the beginning of this whole thing, it has been by Faith, everything that God has done in the life of believers all the way back to the beginning has been by faith. And we've talked about Abraham. Today we have another scene with Abraham. He gets a lot of face time in Hebrews 11. And we remember that he was called out. Remember, he was given a threefold calling. Come out from uh, the land that you're in, your relatives and your father's house. And of that threefold command, he gave him a threefold promise of blessing, saying, I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless you. And he said this to a childless couple, Abraham and Sarah. They had been unable to conceive. We've covered that talking about them. And then we know that he gave them a promise that they would have a child, a child of promise. And then from him would come descendants uh, as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore and stars in the sky. 
that he would take two people who hadn't been able to reproduce and bring out of them a, a large nation and family unto himself. And so that took place. God did what he said that he would do. And then we get this text today that can be very strange to us. Looking again at verse 17 there, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one whom it had been said, your offspring will come or be called for through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead, therefore received him back, figuratively speaking. So we'll look at the text first. We're going to get into some of what this means and we'll jump back into Genesis and look at it more fully. But it says Abraham, when he was tested, that word tested means to ascertain the quality of or what type of man is this? This is something that was going to point out what type of man Abraham was. This test that he was going through, uh, pressure being put on him, tension being put on him. He was going to be proven through this to be something or to be another, right? And it says, when he was tested by faith, he offered up Isaac. And when he talks about him offering him up, he means it as an offering. And I want us to look over into Genesis 22, uh, which is where it points us. This is where we get the details, right? Hebrews 11 has given us a synopsis. We want to go back into the details to see what we can learn today from the faith of Abraham. Just like we, what can we learn from the faith of Noah? What can we learn from the faith of Sarah? What can we learn from these recordings of the saints of old and their faith. And then this story that it's pointing to again is back in Genesis, all the way back at the very beginning of the book in the Old Testament, chapter 22. First couple of verses there says, after these things, God tested Abraham. That's what we just read about. It said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham answered. Verse two, take your son, he said, Your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. So the Isaac, the son of promise, the one that was born of Abraham and Sarah in their old age, the one that Sarah was given power to conceive, the son of promise from one man and him as good as dead, like it said in Hebrews, was meant to come offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sands along the seashore. He would have held the office of the firstborn son. We know that he wasn't the firstborn son. We could cover that on a different time. It's a whole separate part of the story. But he was the firstborn of Abraham and Sarah. And in those days, the firstborn son or the one who held that position would have been the hope of the family, the hope of the family's continuance in the community of their holdings of their land and their possessions. It was their legacy, this firstborn son. And this is the one that he's referencing when he says, take him to the to Mount Moriah, the land of Moriah, to the mountain that I will show you and offer him there to me. As a burnt offering. Offer him there as a burnt offering, which sounds wild to us. It's completely wild that the Lord would call for him to sacrifice his son 
Isaac. And I want us to think about for a moment what Abraham would have heard and what he would have heard when he was told that would have been how he understood burnt offerings. Burnt offerings were for sin, right? Going all the way back to the garden. We covered that when Adam and Eve, man and woman sinned. What did God do? He slew an animal and made for them a covering of the animal's Skin, And we talked about how Cain and Abel would sacrifice even though they weren't under the law and weren't being commanded to sacrifice, yet they were found to be doing it. Abraham would have heard, my son's life is now forfeit because of my sin and the sin of my family. This is what he would have heard and how he would have understood the command. And a note here, Abraham was not just getting started in his walk with the Lord. At this point, he had been walking with the Lord for decades. This is decades after his call out of his, uh, the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, out of his relatives' uh, community, out of his father's house. He's been walking with the Lord for probably over 30 years at this point. And he's commanded, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And then how did Abraham respond to this command? Verse three. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife and the two of them walked Together. So how did he respond? It says he got up early the next morning. He responded quickly and he responded in obedience. He was preparing for the sacrifice. He set out that morning with Isaac and two of his servants. It says it was a three day journey. And this is part of what Hebrews tells us he did by faith. It was by faith that he offered up Isaac at the Lord's command. We can see here how he thought about God. If he thought that what he was being asked to do was crazy and unfair, he wouldn't have done it. Right? He wouldn't have gone. If he thought, well, that was just insane. That's the most unfair thing I've ever heard of. There's no way I'm doing that. I'm not, I'm not going. I'll just take whatever comes next. But he went. If he had thought that God in the situation was going to be something other than gracious and good, he would have been too crushed to get up early the next morning and go and do what God was telling him to do. If he thought God wasn't going to be gracious and wasn't going to be good, if it wasn't by faith, he would have been crushed. Because why? It sounds like in the command, he's about to lose his son, Isaac. The son of promise, the one he had hoped for, the one he had longed for. But it says in Hebrews 11 that he went by faith. What's one way that we know he went by faith? Look at the things that he said. What did he say to his servants? He said, the boy and I are going to go over yonder. We're going to worship and then we are going to come back. 
We are going to come back. And then look what he told his son in verse seven. Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, my father. And he replied, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? See, he understood what sacrifices were, too. He's like, you've got the fire, you've got the knife, you've got the wood. There's one piece missing. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. So you can tell by what he was saying that he had faith in what God was going to do in this situation. And we saw it just all the way to the last part of what we read into Hebrews. How did he do this? He's like, even if my son dies on the mountain, I believe that God is able to even raise him from the dead. If God is telling me to do this, he's not going to contradict himself and take from me the promise that he gave to me that he said was going to come through me. He must be at work doing something. And so he obeyed and he obeyed by faith and we see it by what he said. We can see how he was how he was viewing the situation, what his perspective was on the situation, how by what he was saying. We can always tell how you're seeing the situation by what you say about it. Because faith, we've talked about, gives us the ability, the divinely imparted ability to see the way that God sees. Now, when we see something, especially when we see it by faith, we're going to say it out of our mouth. Because what we see, this is not complicated, What we see or the way we see things is the way we're going to talk about them. The way we see a person, the way we see a situation, the way we see uh, details in our life, the way we see things is what we're going to say about them. Right. Almost everybody, when they came in today, looks like it's going to rain out there. Why? That's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that. And so I'm saying it. The way that I see things is the way that I'm going to talk about them. And some of those things are obvious, right? We see things, we say it, but it's also our perspective on situations, our take on it. Not necessarily is it a fact or is it not a fact, but how are we viewing the situation? This isn't going to work. This is, I don't, this isn't going to work at all. This is just going to, this is going to be a big failure. I don't. That there's no way that this could work. What am I doing? I'm seeing it and then I'm saying what I'm seeing. And what I've learned and what I've understood is whether we're speaking in faith, whether we're seeing by faith or whether we're seeing with the eyes of the flesh and the best that we can muster, what we see, we're going to say and what we say, we're going to see more of. If I see myself as weak, unable, incapable, uh, a failure, uh, destined for uh, to to, to fall, unable to do anything right, that's the way I'm going to talk about myself. And when I'm talking about myself that way, I'm going to see it more the way that I said it would be. Faith sees and then what it sees, it says And then it sees more of what it said. Does that make sense? We're going to talk about things the way that we see them and the way we're talking about it. We're going to see it more that way. Oh, that 
that that guy. He's just he's a nobody, nothing going nowhere. He's just a failure. He's always going to be a failure. He's never going to get right, never going to be right. And so every time I see him, what am I going to see more of what I said? I'm not going to be surprised by the good. I'm going to see things called um, confirmation. It's called confirmation bias. I'm going to be looking to confirm what it is that I see. And where faith sees in hope, everything else sees in doubt. Where faith sees in God can, everything else sees in I can't. Faith sees things the way that God sees things and then it says it. And you will see more of what you say. It's a cycle. Because when you're seen by faith, faith is what? The evidence of things, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith sees hope. Where? Everywhere. Why? Because God is there. And faith sees what God is doing where? Everywhere. And so when I see hope, I can speak hope and then I see more of it. And Abraham was convinced. Because as that cycle continues, faith, I see it by faith. I say what I'm seeing. I see more of it. I become more convinced, what, that God is who he said that he is and he can do what he said he would do. That he is good and honest and just. That he is gracious and kind towards me. And so Abraham, having walked with God as long as he had, completely imperfect. We can go through his whole story and talk about how imperfect he was. He was convinced That while God was holy and just and could call him to account for his sin, he was also faithful and gracious. And this was his promise, not my promise. This was his promise. And it's his to sustain. He told me that my offspring would be called through Isaac. How can it be called through Isaac if Isaac is dead? God must do something to clear that up. And yet he obeyed, even though he didn't understand. And we've done that. We've spoken out in faith when we didn't understand. Anybody in here looked at somebody in their eyes and told them it's going to be okay? And in your heart and your mind, you did not know how it was going to be okay. But you knew that it was going to be okay. How did you know? You knew he was involved. You knew that he was in it. So you could look them in the eyes and honestly and truthfully, wholeheartedly tell them it's going to be okay. Even though I, Stephen, my mind, I don't know how it's going to be okay. Other than God is involved. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And God will sustain what we can't sustain. This is all Abraham's thought process. As he is going to the mountain that was pointed out to him to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering. We get to the moment of truth. What's he going to do? What's going to happen? And that's in verse eight. So we'll reread verse eight and then go through ten. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out with the knife to slaughter his son. This was how it was done. The offering was placed on the altar. It was killed with the knife and then burned before the Lord as an offering. 
What is the test here for Abraham? It says when he was tested. What is the test? It's Abraham, what do you love and hope in the most in your life? What do you love and hope in the absolute most in your life? Is it the gift, Isaac, or is it the giver, God Almighty? What do you hope in the most? What do you love the most? You can hope in Isaac. You can love Isaac. But is he the most or is God Almighty the most? And we see this test in our life. When we get the things that God has promised to us, the good things, the right things, the things that we desire, when we get the things that he promised, do we still have God as first place in our life? Is he still holding his right position as preeminent and ultimate in our life? Or do we start to cling to the promise because it's closer to us and easier to grab hold of and easier to understand? Do we hold on to the gift more than we hold on to the giver? Because that is dangerous. That can hurt us, harm us. If we hold on to the gift more than the giver. Abraham could have said that. He could have said, hey, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. I've got my heir now. The heir to my estate, I have him now. It's Isaac. I like him a whole lot. I don't want to sacrifice. I don't even want to make him go over there. I don't even want to make him do that. I don't need you anymore. This boy, this young man will do. This will be fine with me. And we don't normally say that out of our mouth, but we can we can allow that to happen in our heart where we get disordered. Our loves get disordered. And one old saint said, what is the beginning of sin other than disordered love? Getting things out of order and other things besides God being in the position that only God should be in our life. He could have said that, but he didn't. By faith, Hebrews 11, he offered up. His son, Isaac, because faith not only sees and says, faith sees the source of all things. Faith sees the source of all good things. It's him. Every good thing comes from him and nothing can compare to him. Nothing can be in his place in our life. Our source is God. It's who he is. Nothing else can be our source. He'll use a lot of other things to bless us and to be blessings in our life, whether it's your job, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your family, accounts that you have, your rich uncle that you're hoping dies and leaves you a lot of money. Your church, you can look to your church as your source and not God whose church it is. All of these good gifts in our lives They're not our source. They're channels that he blesses us through. He is our source. And Abraham would have seen this and known this. God, of everything, you are supreme. You are preeminent. Last fall, if you were with us, we talked a little bit about idolatry. And it's not just, you know, going out in the woods into a hut and, you know, bowing down before a gold uh, statue. Idolatry is loving anything more, putting it in a higher position than God in your life, taking something that's good and making it the ultimate thing in your life. 
making it a God in your life, asking it to do for you what only God can do. And we talked about the sentence, the fill in the blank sentence that you can use to determine if there are things in your life that have slipped to this position. And it's my life only has meaning and I only have worth if. My life only has meaning and I only have worth if. If your answer is anything but, my life only has meaning and I only have worth if I am found in Christ Jesus. If I am in Christ Jesus, in union with him, if it's anything else, it's going to break your heart. Because they can't do what we want them to do. If Abraham had put Isaac at the top of that list, he would have lost everything. Because he would have put a weight on Isaac that he couldn't carry. It would have crushed him and crushed Abraham because his wants, desires, the deepest needs of his soul would have gone unfulfilled because that boy couldn't do it. That boy couldn't do it. If he had put Isaac at the top of the list, he would have lost everything. What did he do? He said, God himself will provide the lamb, they reached the place, he arranged the altar, he bound his son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood, and then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. What happened? But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he replied, here I am. I'd have to look into why they keep doing this. Why they can't. Hey, dad, dad's right here. Abraham, here I am. Like, was this just call and response? We don't really do that. Anyway, but you see that in the text. Angel of the Lord called him, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. See, it's interesting that if he would have chosen Isaac above God, he would have lost everything. When he chose God above everything, he got Isaac back. He didn't lose Isaac. He got both, which is best of all. Faith sees the source. So we want to ask ourselves, do we have anything on our God? You can't have that list. God, you can't have this or God. You, I, I hope you never ask me for this. I hope you never ask me for this. Is there anything on that list, anything that we couldn't lay on the altar if he asked us to do it? To keep it from being above him. If we have anything on that list, it's time for us to reconsider. I believe that's one of the things that the text is telling us. That we need to reconsider our ways. It reminds us of that. I want to read the, the verse from Hebrews 11 again. We won't jump back over there because we're not quite done yet here. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one through whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. And he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back figuratively speaking or your translation, a different translation may say as a type, he received him back as a type. And what that is telling us is that while Genesis 22 was telling us a story about Abraham and Isaac, it was also telling us a parable that we could learn from and that we could see our own life 
in and that touches the rest of the story, the redemption story in Scripture. It's telling us that there's a story within the story or there's a story above the story. Let's look at that. Again, at the end of 22, and I'll show you what I mean. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is, it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Remember, as we've gone through Hebrews 11 and each one of these stories that we've uh, gone back through, I've told you that they all point to Jesus. They all tell us a story, but they all point to Jesus, to the Christ. That's the writer of Hebrews. That's their goal is to point to Christ and to prove again, since the beginning, it's been by faith and it's all been pointing to Christ. We see a ram in the thicket or a male sheep as a sacrifice. That God had prepared a lamb for the sacrifice so that the young man here wouldn't die because of the sin of his family. We see that Abraham named the place the Lord will provide or Jehovah Jireh or Yahweh Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. The angel of the Lord said, now I know that you fear God house since you haven't withheld your only son from me. First John chapter four and verse 10 says, this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and that he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He said he received him back as a type or figuratively speaking that this is pointing to Jesus. It was a three day journey to get to the mountain. That sounds familiar just coming off of Easter, doesn't it? The son Isaac carried the wood for the sacrifice up the hill on his own back. Just like Christ carried the cross up the hill to where he would be crucified. The father is the one that carried the knife. The father is the one who brought this about. They went up the mountain alone. It was a transaction between the father and the son alone. What was about to take place. The son willingly climbed up on that altar. He wasn't a baby. He wasn't a toddler. He couldn't have picked him up and set him up there. He, at least as a young man, Caleb's age or bigger, climbed up there on his own and did not resist the father when he asked him to get up on that altar. It said, we have this saying to this day, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. The Lord will provide the sacrifice. So it teaches us and it also points us ultimately to Jesus. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise someone from the dead. He said, if the promised son is slain, 
for the sins of my family, I believe that God is able to resuscitate him and raise him from the dead. And I don't think I, 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 I didn't go back through all of the 22 chapters, but I don't think we had any record of anybody from that from the beginning record that we have up until that point of people being raised up from the dead. It would have been something that had never been done before in the sight of a man. And he said, I believe that God can do it. What is that? It's faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that people hadn't even seen yet. Haven't even seen the ability for it to happen yet. Faith sees into things that don't yet exist and future things that have not yet happened. Abraham probably felt like God was killing him over those three days. Those are probably a tough three days for him. Probably felt like God was crushing him. What was he doing? Actually, he was saving him. He was saving him from making his son the ultimate thing in his life. Because again, it would have crushed both of them. It's the same way by faith he offered him up. By faith we offer up our lives to him. He is the ultimate. If you want any of this, you can have it. If you want me to set down any of it, I'll set it down. If you want me to sacrifice it before you, I will sacrifice it before you. You are the ultimate and you dictate what I do, where I go, who I, what type of man I'm going to be and not the gifts that you have given me. My identity is in you. Everything belongs to you. It's from you. It's through you. It's for you. I want it to serve you. It's by faith that we understand even laying down all of those things, even if we lay down everything he asked us to, it's not enough to make us right with him. It's not enough to make us righteous with him. We still needed him to provide a sacrifice. We needed a ram in the bushes. We need him to provide a sacrifice for us. And thankfully he did. Jesus was offered up for us. We can see it clearly even just reading this old story about Abraham. And like Abraham, we believe that God is able even to raise someone from the dead. And he did it in the person and the work of Jesus Christ for us. So we want to be like what we see Abraham being in Hebrews 11. By faith, when he was tested, we don't like being tested, but we're going to be. We are in this life. Things come up, things take place that prove to us what type of person we are and who we're going to be. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. Also here, he he obeyed the command of the Lord. He received the promises and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offering, your offspring will be called through Isaac. And he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking, or as a type. He did it by faith. He saw it the way that God saw it. He said, I've known you now these 30 something years. And this isn't like you. So you must be doing something that I don't see and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to load him up. We're going to go out there. 
and I'm going to do what you told me to do. I trust you. The way he saw it was what he said about it. He told his servants, we're going to go worship and then we're going to come back. And he told his son, when his son asked him, where's the sacrifice? He said, the Lord's going to provide. And he didn't know how it was going to happen. There's things in your life right now, you do not know how they're going to happen. You know some of the things you think need to happen. You know something needs to happen, but you don't know how it's going to take place. Aren't you glad you don't have to? That you can say, I don't know how that's going to work out, but I know God is good. I don't know exactly what's going to happen step by step, but I know that he's faithful. I don't know what it's going to look like in a year or five years or 10 years, but I know that he is with me. And he said he would never leave me and never forsake me. I see it because he's given me the ability by faith to see it. And then my mouth confesses what my eyes have seen. And then my eyes see it a little bit more clearly. And regardless of the things, the good gifts coming and going out of our life, he never comes and goes. He came for us and he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. It's by faith that Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He considered God to even be able to raise the dead. God, you can do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what your limitations are? You have unlimited resources and you love me. And you care for me and you're able to make all things work together for good for those that love you and are called according to your purpose. Not everything be good because you're going to have some things happen that aren't good. You're going to deal with some things that aren't good, but he's going to work them all together for good. Amen. Let's pray. In their story, thank you for his obedience that we can learn from that he didn't know what you were doing or how you would reconcile all of those things, but he obeyed you anyway. And we do that same thing. Lord, there's things that we don't understand. There's mystery that we haven't apprehended, but we, what we have received from you is enough to hold us through the things that we don't understand and through the things we don't yet know how they're going to work out. I thank you. I thank you for the reminder to not put things in your place in our life to look at good things as ultimate things because they will break our heart. And if we always look to you in that top position, you never, ever will. I thank you, Lord, that we can take the good gifts and not exalt them above the giver, that we can enjoy both that we don't have to give up in order to reach. When we put you in top place in our life, we get both. He got his son back and was in right relationship with you. We get both. And we thank you so much for the sacrifice that you provided that we couldn't match, that we needed, but we couldn't produce. When our life was forfeit due to our sin and due to be called upon, you provided a sacrifice in Jesus Christ. That he carried the wood for the sacrifice on his back. And we know that it wasn't the people, it was you that carried the knife. It pleased you to crush him in our place and to raise him to show that his sacrifice was sufficient. This is love, not that we love you, but that you love us. And that you gave your son for us as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And I thank you that we'll see that clearly through eyes of faith today. And if we've not come to faith 
in Christ as our sacrifice that you've provided. I thank you, Lord, that you've made it just that simple. That we believe that he is who you said that he was. That he did what you asked him to do willingly. And that it was effective. It was enough to atone for our sins, to put us in right relationship with you. And that we can walk that out starting today and for the rest of our lives. We thank you and we give you glory. As we leave today, I thank you that we go in peace and unity with one another. Lord, those who are out from among us today, if they're ill, strengthen them in their body and give them uh, healing and peace. If they're working, Lord, that they do so as unto you, glorifying you as a witness to those around them. God, if they're away, give your angels charge over them to hold them up in their hands as they dash their foot against a stone and bring them safely back to us. And Lord, if they're downcast and they just couldn't, just couldn't do it today, I thank you that you are nevertheless their hope. And I thank you that you activate your church, the body, to minister as only it can in love and grace. And Lord, return them to us in strength and peace. And we thank you for these things. And this week coming up, that you be big in our eyes and that you always be in first place. In Jesus' name, amen.